so we would have a sense and encounter with God. That's my role today. And uh, I have a question. How have you dealt with, how have you been feeling over the past year? <laughs> I mean, all of the, the, the isolation, the, the unknown, the confusion, the uncertainty, um, you know, being stuck at home more than before, uh, not to mention the political climate and craziness that's been happening, the injustices that we've seen documented throughout the world, and whatever else this last year has thrown us, financial hardships, where whatever you, it is you're going through, how have you handled and processed and felt uh, over the past year? The fear, the worry, the anxiety, loneliness, grief, anger, all, all of these things that, that we've all experienced to some degree, we're all going through something along these lines. Um, how have you handled it? Well, what we're going to do over the next several weeks is, is take some of these areas that we've been dealing with, these areas of sort of mental health, things that we, we struggle with and, and uh, where we've been having difficulty, and we're going to address it and see what the Bible says and see how to navigate these challenges. Some of the topics will be fear, worry and anxiety, loneliness, anger, shame, grief, just to name um, a few, Th those will be our, our topics over the next few weeks. But first, as we begin this, this new series where, where we talk about these things, we need to first, as we've already sung about, we, we need to first understand who we are in Christ. But before we start to navigate specific situations and try and figure out how, how we can deal with our, you know, our, our shame and our, our grief and our anxiety and our worry and our fear, all, all of the things that we go through, before we take each of those specifically, we, we need to be reminded individually and corporately who we are in Christ. What, what is our identity? What, what are we rooted in But before we go there? Because the promise that we're going to talk about today the, the promise that we find in our text today is the truth and the promise that we must cling to every moment of every day. And I believe if we would let this truth and, and, and this promise um, into our hearts and really let it take root, that, that we will never be the same. That, that we will live our lives differently if we really um, grasped this truth and, and started to feel the love that God has for us. The truth in this text and in this sermon, what, what we're going to see today, the truth in this text and in this sermon is like, um, it, it, I, I thought it, it's like our, a whitewater rafting guide, you know, the, the one that we look to to get us through the crazy fours and fives when the water's crashing all around us and we think we're going to die. This is the truth and this is the promise that we can look to, to know that we'll be navigated safely. The text, Romans 8, 31 through 39, as you've heard, and here's the point. You are immeasurably and unchangeably loved by God in Christ. How about that for good news this morning? That you are immeasurably, you, you, we cannot even, we, we can't get close to the depths of God's love for you. And unchangeably, there's nothing that you can do to, to separate yourself as we've heard and as we'll see from the love of God in Christ. You are immeasurably and unchangeably loved by God in Christ. This is the truth and the promise that we must rely on in this life. And there will be, there will be all kinds of hardships and difficulties that we'll go through. Like we've seen over the past year and maybe that you've walked in with today, going through difficulties, pains, hardships in your life. There, they will come, but this is the, the, the promise that we can cling to. 
Because ultimately, our circumstances do not affect our standing before God. Who we are in Christ is not, um, it does not determine how we feel or how you walked in today or what you're going through. Your standing in Christ is secure. If you are in him, that means if you're trusting in Jesus alone to save you, if you are in him, you're united to him by faith, this means that you are immeasurably and unchangeably loved by God. There's three divisions of the sermon that will all support this claim of God's love for you, and I want you to see them all in the text with me. And here's the first from verses 31 and 32. God is for you and proves it. God is for you and he proved it. This is verses 31 and 32. Look at it again with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And this this chunk of text, this is really the emotional climax of the argument that Paul's been making. As he's been been really teasing out in the first, you know, seven, eight chapters of Romans. He's really been proclaiming his gospel. He's been defending it. He's been talking about what God has done to save us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And here it all comes to a a climax, an emotional um, moment where he really wants to drive these truths into our hearts. And I pray that they would. If God is for us, who can be against us? Allow this to be pressed into your heart this morning. God is for you. For you. Not against you. He, he's not against you. Um, he, he, is, he is not an enemy trying to destroy, to destroy you. He is your defender to protect you from enemies. He's for you. He's on your side. He is on your team, so to speak. And if I could press that analogy, but, but not go too far, he, he is cheering you on. He, he's on your side. He, he, is, he is watching you go and he's saying, yes, cheering you on as you go and, and teaching you as you go. He's like, um, he's like the best version of that little league dad. You know, David, not the one that sits out in the outfield and just yells criticisms at his kid, not that one, but the one that only encourages and, and, and brings love and support and encouragement and is, and is cheering you on. That is what our God is like. God is for you. He's not against you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? I love this question. Like, if I've got God for me, what does it matter what anybody else says or does to me? This doesn't necessarily take away the pain and the hurts that we can feel at the expense of other people. Um, but, but the reality remains, if God is for me, who, who can be against me? What does it matter what else happens in my life? It can't hurt me. Um, people's judgments and, and, and the insults or whatever is thrown at me, it ultimately can't hurt me because the only one who has the right to ultimately judge me is on my side. He's, he's for me, not against me. I can breathe deep. Isn't that a weight off your shoulders that God is for you? You know, too often we have this mental picture of God kind of up there. You know, he's the old, he's got the gray hair and he's kind of, you know, he's more like Zeus waiting to zap you with lightning bolts. That's not, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is in Christ um, and he is for you. For you, not against you. 
when it seems like your boss at work is against you, remember God is for you. You know, when family tensions are running high, it seems like people are against each other or against you. God is for you. It doesn't mean that we don't work to reconcile, of of course, but ultimately this truth um, allows us to breathe deep and walk through this life differently, knowing that God is for us, not against us. This is like um, this is like an umbrella, you know, God's protection on, on a rainy day, that God is for me. It doesn't necessarily take away the fact that it's raining and difficult, but at least I've got a little bit of protection knowing that God is for me. Have you ever thought about the people that you would want on your side, the people you would want for you if things ever went down and there was a fight that broke out? Of course you've thought about this, right? You're like, you're like surveying the room, like, okay, something happened. Who do I want to have my back, okay? And the answer is obviously Bill Terry, okay? I mean, if you're, if you're just looking around and you're saying, okay, who do I want on my team, on my side? Who do I want for me when things are, are gonna get a little, cra- I mean, the nicest, gentlest, most generous man you'll ever meet. But if it goes down, I want him to have my back, And if I do, if, if I, if, and stay with me, if this is true, if, I, if I've got somebody that I can really trust that is for me and behind my back, what kind of confidence will I, will I walk in? What kind of hope will I have going through life knowing that, that the, the, the person that I want to have my back really does have my back and is going to protect me and defend me? Now, multiply this by infinity and that's how we can live knowing that God is for us. Paul wants to tell us that God is for you, but he also tells us that God proves it. God proved it. Um, in, in verse 32, this is what we see, remember, that um, Paul, Paul really wants to, to help us understand really what God did to show that he is for you. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So God proved it that he is for you. Um, when people have things to spare, you think about this, when people have things to spare, they're usually things of not much value. You know, like if, if you've got something to spare, like this week, um, a guy in Splendora had a Ryobi uh, weed eater to spare and I went and gave him 20 bucks for it. You know, that's something you've got for spare. Uh, it's just laying around and, uh, and, and you know, it's not, of, it's not of much value. But with God, this, it is not so. <laughs> um, what God decided to spare on your behalf to prove that he is for you is that he spared his own son. He, he, would, he would allow his own son to, to go to the cross, to atone for, to pay for your sin, to prove to you how much he is for you and how much he loves you. This is an, an immense and a deep and an immeasurable love. If God did this, then there is nothing you truly need in life that he will withhold from you. And I'm not, not necessarily health, wealth, prosperity. This is not what we're talking about. But there's nothing that you truly need in life when it comes to your salvation, your soul, and, and what you need in life to glorify him. He will not withhold it from you. Because he, he would spare his own son for you. The next evidence that shows that you are immeasurably and unchangeably loved by God in Christ is that God declares you innocent continually, okay? 
Track with me here. God declares you innocent continually. We see this in verses 33 and 34. Look at it again with me. Verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed, who indeed is interceding for us. Okay. So get the picture. Paul takes us into the courtroom, the the throne room, the judgment room of God, where, where God alone is the one who can judge. He alone is the one who can pronounce guilt or innocence. God can declare one innocent or declare the guilt of a person. And we know from previous arguments in, in, the, in the book of Romans, Romans 3.23, that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. We know that in Romans 5 that we all inherited and, and in some sense participated with Adam's sin. So all of us inherited sin and we are sinners. Therefore, we are deserving of guilt. What you and I deserve outside of Christ is to have our sentence declared guilty. And if you are honest, you know that's true. You're like, yeah, I, I mess up far more than I do good things. I deserve to be punished by God. And this is true for all of us in the room. So we are all guilty before God. We deserve God's just condemnation. But for us who are in Christ, whom God has saved, his elect, as it says, he declares us innocent. He doesn't declare us guilty. He declares us innocent. Again, Paul says that God is the one who justified justifies. It it is God who has the right to declare us innocent. And if God is the only one with the right to declare us innocent um, or guilty in in his sight, it means that no human can. And oftentimes we live our lives trying to seek the justification or the approval of people as opposed to seeking um, and living out of the fact that we are seen as innocent by God. Some of us have been striving and working really hard to to be justified in the eyes of one or both of our parents. And we never, we can never live up to it. I feel like we we can never be good enough to to work for their approval. You know, and and, uh, this is a a constant struggle for a lot of people, or maybe, you know, it's your boss or somebody in your life that you're trying to um, measure up to, and you just really want them to see you as good. Well, the reality is here um, that God is the only one and he is the only one who it ultimately matters who declares you innocent. It is God who justifies. He's the one that has the power to declare you innocent in his sight. And he declares you innocent because of what Jesus has done. In the second part of verse 34 um, is probably my personal favorite part of this text. Okay? Now, I love the whole we're more than conquerors part. That's great too. But you don't get there unless, unless you stop here at the second verse at thir- verse 34. Second part of verse 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. And it's this. Jesus is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us. All right? We need to, we need to really understand what This is teaching us. Paul asks another question. Who's to condemn? Meaning who can say that we are guilty before God? Who has the right to say that we are guilty before God? The answer, of course, no one. 
No person can say you are not in right standing with God. Why? Well, because Christ Jesus, who died and was raised, is at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. Okay, again, get the picture. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God interceding for us. This is truly unbelievable and demonstrates the immeasurable and unchangeable love that God has for you. The picture is this. In the great throne room, throne room of God, um, where, where God can declare guilt or innocence, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Now, to intercede means to intervene in order to reconcile, okay? So, so Jesus is jumping in in order to make things right on your behalf, okay? Now, even further, here, here's maybe what this means. Notice that Jesus is interceding present tense for us, meaning that this is continually happening, constantly and continually happening. Put another way, it's something like this. Jesus is constantly saying to the Father, you can't declare Elijah guilty. Look at what I did for him. Jesus is constantly saying, Bethany's not guilty. Look at what I did for her. Look, look, at my, look at my perfect sacrifice on her behalf. You can't, you can't condemn Billy. He, 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 is, he is innocent. He's made right because of what I have done. You get, Jesus is constantly and continually doing that on your behalf. Oh my gosh. What, what, um, what level of confidence can I walk out of here with knowing that there, I, I'm not guilty? And that the perfect Savior, the very Son of God, is the one who is declaring my innocence continually every nanosecond of every day to God the Father. And he doesn't forget, ever. He doesn't, like, not remember your name for a second and all of a sudden you slip back in under the wrath of God. It never happens. He, he is the perfect substitute for you. The obedient one that lived the life that you and I could never live. And he takes our place there and he is constantly pleading our innocence to the Father. So I, I'm, not, I'm not condemned because Jesus is constantly at the right hand, interceding. He's jumping in on my behalf, making things right, continually and constantly. It's a beautiful and humbling picture. It makes me want to give my life to that sort of Savior, doesn't it? So when you feel like you've messed up too much, like you're too far gone, like God can't love you, stop it and remember that if you are in Christ, Jesus is constantly pleading your innocence and God the Father is pleased to accept his plea on your behalf because of his perfect sacrifice for you. God declares you innocent continually. This is a measurable and unchangeable love that changes the way that we live. And again, what freedom and confidence can I leave here with knowing that Jesus is pleading my innocence every nanosecond of every day? I can breathe deep. I can walk through hard times with a joy and a confidence knowing that I'm not condemned. I'm declared innocent. And although I don't want to fail God, although I don't want to give in to temptation and sin, I know that if I do, guess what? Jesus is still pleading my innocence to the Father. His sacrifice is still perfect on my behalf even when I screw up, which I inevitably will. This is moving and humbling, and again, makes me want to give my life for this Savior. 
The last evidence that shows that we are immeasurably and unchangeably loved by God in Christ found in verses 35 through 39 is this. God holds on to you no matter what. God holds on to you no matter what. The climactic question is asked by Paul, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Of course, the assumed answer is no one. He's trying to drive this home to you. Who can separate us from the love of God? Um, What can separate us from the love of Christ? And this is a good and a fair question that probably all of us either subconsciously or consciously ask ourselves. Like what could happen, what, what could I do in my life to make God not love me anymore? Don't we always kind of have that question in the back of our heads? Like when we really mess up, we sort of think, yeah, okay, that's probably the one that did it. I've probably worked my way out of the love of God. I can't, I can't get back now. We, we have this naturally as humans, we kind of have this works-based mentality that's really anti the gospel. Um, but but th- this is sort of what Paul's getting at here. What, what could I do um, to make God not love me anymore? Or sort of, The flip side, and what we'll see Paul is really getting at, is what could happen in my life that would prove that God doesn't really love me? Okay, that this is what Paul's going to get at here because he he starts this um, he starts this list of like hypothetically speaking, because surely there's something that would prove that God doesn't really love me. So Paul's going to start going through it to, to say, what, what could separate us? What could prove that we are not really loved by God? Because surely there's something, right? This is what Paul's getting at. Of course, the answer is nothing. But Paul starts his list. Is it tribulation or distress? Could that prove in my life when I go through tribulation, difficulty, pain? These are sort of catch-all terms, tribulation and distress for any difficulty that we might go through in life. Anybody go through any difficulties this week? Anybody have any challenges? Um, you know, the difficult things to work through that, you, you, that were stressful or whatever. Any tribulation or distress? Did that prove that God doesn't love you anymore? We might be tempted to think that. Maybe we're tempted to think that they prove that our tribulations and our distress, the things that we go through in life, maybe we would think that um, they prove that God doesn't love us. Paul keeps going on. Remember, we're, we're getting somewhere. This is, Paul keeps going. Persecution. Maybe it's persecution. Maybe, maybe suffering for the faith proves that God doesn't really love us. According to Open Doors, an organization that is dedicated to helping persecuted Christians across the globe, uh, they estimate that one in eight Christians in the world are undergoing persecution for their faith right now. Um, They estimate that number at 340 million Christians on the planet right now who are undergoing persecution for their faith. Does that mean that God doesn't love them anymore? Does that prove that they're separated from the love of God? We might be tempted to think so. What about famine or nakedness or danger? I see these as sort of um, what we actually call the necessities of life. Famine, uh, naked, or danger. What is this? But food, um, shelter, right? And uh, famine, oh, food, clothing, and shelter, right? The things that we sort of say as the necessities of life. What if our basic necessities are not met in this life? Does that mean that God doesn't really love us, that we're somehow separated from the love of God. 
You see the argument that Paul's making here? It starts with, hey, when there's difficult stuff going on, uh, does that, you know, does that show that you're separated from the love of God? And then he builds it up. And then finally we get to the sword, the sword. And Paul elsewhere in Romans 13, uh, the, the sword was used to say, um, basically it means the government's ability to execute. And sorry to be graphic, but the Roman um, choice of execution for their government was decapitation. So Paul ends this argument that's really trying to drive this emotion through to your hearts. And he says, if, sorry, if your head is separated from your body, does that mean that you're separated from the love of God? That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. Surely one of those somewhere in there um, would show that somehow we could be separated from the love of God. And again, this is going somewhere. And then Paul actually quotes Psalm 44, where the psalmist is lamenting and he's crying out and he's saying, God, you're allowing your people, um, you're killing us. You're, you're letting us be led to the, sh- to the slaughter like sheep. So Paul's saying, yeah, what you're going through right now is the people of God, God's people. This is what has always been going on. <laughs> Does that, does all of that, all of those things, go through, let's go through the list again. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword. Or feeling like you are a sheep going to the slaughter. Do those things prove, do they show that you are separated from the love of God? And then we get to verse 37. Look at it. No. No? What do you mean No. Surely, if, the, if I am killed, it means that God doesn't really love me, right? Except Paul says, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Now, I don't, I, are you as shocked as I am that the conclusion to that argument is no? Because I am. Because really, if I'm being honest, um, when the slightest little thing goes wrong in my life, I'm like, oh God, do you love me anymore? You know? Because we're so petty, we're so fickle um, that we can really think that, that our circumstances um, affect our station before God. Like, like we really think that um, our, our circumstances determine our standing before God. But our standing before God is rooted in the love of Christ. It is not in our situation or our circumstances. And all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. What things? Remember the list again. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, execution. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Okay? So when we go through whatever we're going to go through in our lives, um, whether it, we reach a point where we, we are under some sort of persecution, and even if Christians are being taken out by the government— I don't foresee that happening, but even if it did, it does not mean that God does not love us. Wow. What, what a way to wrap up that, that argument, to show that we are unimaginably, immeasurably, and unchangeably loved by God. Even when we don't feel like it, it's still true. Now, how can you be more than a conqueror? A conqueror is one who overcomes and takes control. Overcomes, takes control. And obviously it's a military term, right? So you, you fight a battle and you overcome an enemy and then you take control of that territory or whatever. 
So how can you be more than a conqueror? I'm, I'm not exactly sure what, um, what Paul is getting at here, but I, I, when I'm thinking about a conqueror, it means that there's a battle that has to take place, right? To conquer something, you got to fight for it, and then you overcome it, okay? Um, but to be more than a conqueror, I, I'm wondering that if Paul is not getting at uh, saying something like, if we really grasp this truth, that we are really loved by God, then we will face whatever we go through knowing that the battle is already won. I think that's what being more than a conqueror is. It's not saying that when danger, persecution, tribulation, distress, the list, it's not saying that when those things come, there won't be a fight and there won't be a battle. Of course, there will be for us to overcome that. But I think if we fully 100% grasped the immeasurable and unchangeable love that God has for you and I, if we really did, we would walk through whatever it is knowing that the battle's already won. I think that's what I think that's what Paul is getting at when he's saying we are more than conquerors in all these things. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Again, this is comforting and allows us to go through our suffering and pain and challenges with a confidence, knowing that the battle is won. And whatever it is that we go through cannot separate us from the love of God. He holds on to you, no matter what. No matter what. We must not miss that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, okay? So this is saying that it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own strength that we can overcome our depression and our anxiety and our worry and our fear and our shame. It's not in our own strength that we can do that, but it is through him. It is by relying on the strength of Jesus and what he has done to get through what we go through. I want to wrap up, or we're going to respond in worship in just a second, but just one example of somebody who is more than a conqueror through persecution and the sword. This man um, knew that he was immeasurably and unchangeably loved by God in Christ. Last January, 2020, a pastor in Nigeria was captured by an extremist group and was held captive. And he was forced to make a, a hostage video, and in this video, he testified to the goodness of God. <laughs> Pastor Andimi was his name, and this is what he said when, when asked to make a, a hostage uh, video to send out to get ransom and to be let go. He said this, By the grace of God, I will be together with my wife, my children, and my colleagues. But if the opportunity is not granted, maybe it's the will of God. Remember the, the boys in the fire and Daniel? They said, I believe my God will deliver me. But even if he doesn't, he's still good. This is somebody that, that grasps the immeasurable and unchangeable love that God has for them. This is somebody who Romans 8, 31 through 39 has moved from their head really into the heart and changed the way that they live their life. And then he concluded in this video, be patient, don't cry, don't worry. Thank God for everything. And then less than 10 days later, he was killed. He died a martyr, died for the faith. Was he separated from the love of God? No, no, he, he is experiencing now, um, his, his faith has become sight and he is tasting and seeing the goodness of God and is in the presence of the savior right now. 
So that, that's, that's kind of the, the, the finale, that no matter what goes on, uh, even if our, uh, we die in this life, physically we die, we know that, that ultimately then we experience the fullness of the immeasurable and unchangeable love of God in Christ. We end with Paul's confidence that is our confidence as well in verses 38 and 39. For I am sure. You see that? I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about that? What confidence do we have that God loves us immeasurably and unchangeably? God is for you. God is for you and he proved it by sending his son for you. Jesus is always pleading your innocence to the father because of what he has done. And God holds on to you no matter what you go through in this life. God is holding on to you. You are immeasurably and unchangeably loved by God in Christ. Now, what would you live like? What would your life look like if you really believed that was true? What troubles and cares would seem smaller and insignificant because you are loved by God? What confidence would you have to walk through the difficulties and trials in your life because you are loved by God? And what boldness would you have in speaking the gospel truth in love if you knew that you were loved by God and you, your life had been changed by this Savior? For these things to be true, though, you must be in Christ. You must be in Christ, meaning um, if you have not trusted in Jesus to save, then, then you... You do not have Jesus as an advocate. You do not have him interceding on your behalf, okay? He, he's not pleading your innocence if you don't trust him. So if you, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, if you're not trusting in him to save, if you're not, then these things aren't true of you. The wrath of God actually abides on you instead of his love. And it's a just wrath. It is rightful condemnation. We deserve it. But there's a free gift, right? You can have Jesus as your advocate. You can have him as your intercessor, pleading on your behalf, pleading your innocence, if you would just simply trust him in faith. If you would put your faith in him this morning. So I would urge you to do that if you've never trusted in Christ to save. We're gonna worship our God for the love that he has shown us in Christ. And uh, as always, we'll have some prayer partners throughout the room and... Uh, if you just want to, to come and pray and uh, connect, and if there's some trials and difficulties in your life, you need some brothers and sisters to lift you up about, please come. Um, and if there, and if you are saying, yeah, I've never trusted in Jesus, but I, but I am right now, come and let us know so we can celebrate with you, praise the Lord with you, and, and help you with next steps as well. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, 
our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.